Speaking of, um, you know, it's Christmas, you know, full of the holidays, full of tales to tell. Speaking of tales, this is one that Canadians or Canadian politicians seems very, seem very happy to talk about. Uh, there is this idea, much talked about by our politicians, that Canada is an impending superpower in the mining of critical minerals. That's those minerals that we use and things that are oh so important for our energy future, electric vehicles, smartphones, solar panels. Um, that's lithium, cobalt, copper, graphite, nickel, all of which are used in low carbon energy, such as electric vehicle batteries. So obviously it makes sense for governments to talk them up. This is, a, you know, this is sort of a brave new frontier, right? Ottawa's even spent $10 million to start a critical minerals office and nearly $50 million for research on processing and refining. Not that much money, but still not insignificant. Just to give you an idea of how we've been talking this up, here's the Prime Minister, the Deputy Prime Minister, Christopher Freeland, and Ontario Premier Doug Ford. There are about 13 uh, critical minerals uh, that have been identified uh, for various manufacturing processes that Canada has, uh, that U.S. doesn't have nearly as much of. The world's democracies do not want to depend on Russia and China for critical minerals and metals. And guess who has almost all of this stuff? We do. Canada does. Automakers all over the world are ramping up production of battery-driven electric vehicles. And where the minerals come from for the batteries is right here in the north. Now, none of that is specifically untrue. In fact, all of it has a real grain of truth to it, perhaps not the enthusiasm with which it's said. And it's true, Canada does have a lot of these minerals. The problem is, according to a new report, uh, we don't have many of them. In fact, we have a lot of them, but we don't have much of them is the problem. Um, so that really, if you look at what's available, now this is a bit of a caveat here. If you look at what's available, Canada's a bit of a bit player when it comes to these critical minerals. Uh, and we won't really be able to benefit from that huge jump in global demand or be able to act as a really important supplier either. Now, there is some controversy here, as I said. There's a bit of a caveat because the data was pulled from the U.S. Geological Survey. And the argument goes that they define reserves as currently viable mining sites. And we say, well, we have a lot of as yet undiscovered uh, areas where we could find these minerals. It also says the report that getting rid of red tape to make domestic miners more competitive would also help here. That's another issue. Um, again, reserves of those minerals in the ground whose economic viability has been proven is what the USGS says these are. So there is some dispute there over the semantics. But even then, a Commons committee a few years ago suggested that, you know, these are in remote, hard to reach sites. There's cold weather. There's environmental considerations. There's necessary Indigenous Crown consultation. I just mentioned the difficult regulatory process overall, also a factor. So are we fooling ourselves? According to this new report, yeah. Yeah, we kind of are. We're kind of talking up something that we can't really deliver. It doesn't mean we're going to be completely left behind here, but we're not. We're not. Uh, you know, we're not the knight in shining armor rushing to the aid of the U.S. and other countries who want these critical minerals. Joining me now is one of the report's co-authors, Philip Bazell, is a research associate at the University of Calgary School of Public Policy. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. So we've been hearing this from uh, from myriad politicians of of late, sort of touting Canada as a critical minerals superpower. What exactly have we been saying and who are we saying it to? Uh, well, I, I guess there is uh, people 
putting out that perception that, that we stand to play a large role in the upcoming energy transition away from fossil fuels and carbon emitting forms of energy toward uh, the electrification of vehicles and industrial processes. We generally actually look at the tax competitiveness on that question, but for a novel approach, we decided to just say, well, hey, exactly how many of how these- How many minerals we have? Yeah, yeah, how many do we have? Where are they? What, looking at the global picture, what is our slice of the pie? And it turns out that it, it's not as significant as, as maybe some people have presented it. And even though there's regional pockets that may stand to benefit from the uh, economic growth around it, it's hard to see it as a large win for Canada in the way that oil and gas has been. Yeah, and, and this is, has many uh, different components to it. It's certainly from a, from a security standpoint. We know that um, a lot of what we consider to be critical minerals are mined in China right now. They have a real dominance in that market. So there's been this idea that Canada could help, at least that's how we're touting it, how we could help sort of provide some, quote unquote, uh, energy transition security. Yes, yeah. And I think, it's, I think China may have um, a large endowment of the rare earth elements. But when we look at the, um, at the metal side of things, it is spread around the globe in a lot of ways. But the other side of that picture is that in each category, so there would be cobalt, copper, graphite, manganese, there is one, two or three countries that really has the lion's share of that particular um, element. So that, that plays into that question around security and open market access to all of these critical minerals that are really going to be needed to drive the future of the energy transition. So when we look at where Canada stands specifically uh, on some of these critical minerals, uh, where, do, where do we stand? How much of a powerhouse? If we're not a powerhouse, what do we have? So um, we were looking at the um, International Energy Agency, which I'm sure everyone is familiar with, looking at their discussion of the coming energy transition. And they highlight a number of key elements, minerals or metals, but the, uh, the top seven or eight are bauxite, cobalt, copper, graphite, lithium, manganese, nickel, and zinc. Now, your mining enthusiasts in Canada will no doubt know that um, Sudbury, Ontario is called Big Nickel. So we, yes, we do I've been have there. some of the reserves. Oh, have, I also recently. <laughs> yeah, I saw also, the, I've seen the Big yeah. Nickel, of course. Yeah. But it's not as, uh, not yeah. as plentiful as it once was, right? Um, I'm not sure if the problem is that Big Nickel is not plentiful in terms of driving the local economy in Sudbury. But when we come to the global picture, Canada's reserves still only represent 2% of global nickel reserves. And Part of the story here is that in each of these metals, we're going to need an order of magnitude more than we currently produce in order to have a sustainable electricity-driven future. So with something like nickel, regardless of what's being produced today, going forward 15, 20 years to electrification, we're going to be needing easily on the order of 10 times what we produce today. And if we look at other critical minerals, it's a similar story, is it not? In terms of lithium, there needs to be a, a humongous amount of growth in terms of the mining there, copper, zinc. And, and back to the question that you asked before, what is Canada standing? Well, in, in terms of four of those critical elements, we only have four. And I think the largest, the largest amount that we have in terms of global reserves is for cobalt, and that's 3%. 
And so we're hanging around two or 3% in these um, different categories. Whereas let's look at something like the Congo has 50% of global cobalt reserves. So that, you know, that's someone who stands to be a major player. Whereas the picture for Canada, just, just we don't have that amount of resource in the ground. So where do you think this uh, messaging has been coming from then that Canada can play a big role in some of these uh, critical minerals when, in fact, uh, we know that our, our at least our, our known um, portions of these, our known holdings of these are pretty small? If someone's talking in a regional sense or a localized sense, yeah, they might be right. So, for instance, if you're in Sudbury and you say, I think the economy in Sudbury over the next 20 or 30 years stands to grow from energy transition mining, yeah, you're absolutely right. But is this going to be something that replaces the economic engine of oil and gas going forward? If we are, in fact, going to transition away from oil and gas and toward electric energy, renewable energy, and toward all of these critical transition metals, is there going to be a replacement there? It's hard to see it that way. I, I, think, I think it's hard to make that case. Philip Bazell is with us this half hour. He is a research associate at the University of Calgary's School of Public Policy, the co-author of a report that's just come out looking at uh, what kind of role Canada really can play as a provider of critical minerals as we look at an energy transition uh, away from fossil fuels towards um, electrification and so on, certainly the battery, the, the sorts of minerals needed for battery construction and so on. Uh, we've been talking a lot about Canada being part of the solution here. It turns out we don't have a lot of what's needed. Other countries have a lot of it's quite concentrated, oddly enough, whether it be in Turkey or Democratic Republic of Congo, Australia. They all have huge supplies of some of these minerals. Canada doesn't have much of any of them. Um, but when you looked at this report, too, about just how um, slow the process is here just to develop what we do have, that came into play as well. Yeah, so there's there's two sides to it. The side that we normally focus on is the tax competitiveness of our corporate taxation regime, of our mining taxation regime. So that's that's one side of it. Do we have an attractive and competitive tax system for mining that allows us to compete with other international jurisdictions that are doing large amounts of mining? And then the second side is the regulatory side. Uh, how fast is the process for clearing mining approvals in Canada? How burdensome is that process? Is it on par with other international players? Or are those processes more streamlined and expedited in other jurisdictions? Because you've had some, you put some examples in here whereby uh, it's prohibitively long in Canada, it seems at least. Yes. And that's, I have to apologize because my co-author, Jack Mintz, who's also writing this article with me, that would really be more his area of expertise. And he has a lot more, a lot more to say and a lot more experience with that aspect of it. But um, I know that that is a huge concern in terms of going forward, because given that our geology is not as vast as many of the other uh, nations that will be leading in the energy transition mining we need to ask ourselves whether or not the process here is going to discourage investment or discourage the mining process. There are tremendous amounts of money involved. And when you're looking at a, a 10 plus year process, just to know if you can even proceed with these types of projects, I, I, think, I think that's what people are discussing. And, and with the amounts of money involved, yeah, it, you could see why people are interested in in having an expedited process, certainly. Yeah, and time. When we think of a transition, time certainly seems to be of the essence as well. Yes, yeah. Back to the discussion around natural gas, which was, you know, this isn't an opportunity that lasts forever. There's actually a window, and you need to hit the window or else the opportunity you can sort of get passed over. 
So I, I remember that being a big part of the discussion around uh, natural gas, natural gas pipelines getting west to the coast. I think there's probably a similar type of argument here, which is this, this isn't an indefinite type of opportunity. Did you see any other, I mean, this has come up quite a bit in terms of Chinese investment, foreign investment really in this in this uh, patch. Uh, it seems obviously when it comes to Chinese investment, there's, there is changing attitudes towards about just how welcome that will be. Uh, does that create an issue? Does the geopolitics of this create an issue at all? Well, I think that's a very interesting part of the question. And I would argue that uh, we still have yet to see. So uh, no doubt China is making huge investments and is strategically thinking about this question. And uh, China tends to be a strategic player in terms of commodity markets. So no doubt they are they're planning ahead for the future. Now, what, one of the issues that we raise in the report is the idea of consolidation or, in a sense, market control or cornering the markets on particular transition energy, energy transition metals and or mining materials and opening up even a role for groups to play together sort of in the in the vein that we see with OPEC. So I, I tend to think that these questions all lie in the future. But to your question, I, I think that, um, yes, is China going to be a major player? Are they positioning themselves to have a certain amount of uh, what you might call market power? Yeah, I, I think arguably they are. I think it's difficult to make make any other case. And we look at what lies ahead for Canada then in this space. If we're not going to be perhaps uh, this, you know, the powerhouse that sometimes we're touted to be by our own politicians, it does feel like Canada has a. We do have enough of these critical minerals to play some kind of role here. Yes, and and even an expanded role going forward. Again, given that we're going to need so many more of these products to be produced, an order of magnitude more. Yes, Canada will be able to expand its mining, and perhaps new technology will make. Uh, reserves that were previously uneconomic, perhaps those will become more economic to develop. For instance, I know in Canada, I've I've read that we do have a tremendous amount of lithium. The only problem is that not even one dollar's worth will be economic to extract. So potentially there's a there's technologies coming on board that can change some of that. But for the near term, at least, what you found is that. Um our ability to to play a big role, at least in this market in the future, is probably fairly limited. Uh, I would argue, yeah. Again, I, I think the natural analog there is oil and gas. If if we're really going to transition away from oil and gas, how much of that economic activity can we replace here in Canada with mining? I think you'd have a difficult case to make to say that we can replace all of those dollars that come in and all that economic uh, growth. Phil Bazell, thank you so much for your time tonight. Yeah, thank you.